reading from the book of Jonah. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a hut and sat under it in the shade that he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the plant. But God appointed a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the plant so that it withered. It came to pass when the sun did rise, God appointed a vehement east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah and he fainted. He wished inside himself to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Said, said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the plant, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, came up in a night and perished in a night and should not I spare Nineveh that great city where in are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle this is the word of the Lord. This evening, beloved in the Lord, the Orthodox Church begins its annual observance of the feast day of the prophet Jonah. We've been giving all our attention tonight to Quadratus and Focus. We haven't sung a troparian to Jonah tonight. I could suggest one, but are you thinking of the same one I am? But I'm not going to quote it here in the in this sermon enough reverence for the Word of God. Maybe I'll tell you later. 
We've read only the first few verses, pardon me, the first, the first, the final few verses of the book tonight. Now in the book of Jonah, there are layers and layers of meaning. It is perhaps the densest part of sacred scripture. It's layers and layers of meaning in the book of Jonah. Indeed, individual commentaries on this book run to hundreds of pages. For example, Dr. Lessing's commentary on Jonah in the Concordia series, which I priced today, it runs $300 for used copies. Dr. Lessing's commentary on Jonah has 450 pages. It is impossible in one weekday sermon to touch more than one idea of the book. But since it is not only my, one of my favorite books, it's a, one of the favorite books of lots of people. Little children, they understand Jonah, they pick it up very, very well. Tonight, I want to consider Jonah as the man who strove to flee from God's appointment. Now, because he initially chose to flee, he did not do what God told him to do, did just the opposite. God was obliged to make other appointments. That verb, Vayaman, 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 appears four times in the book of Jonah. Three of them were in tonight's reading. It's a very important word, Vayaman. It appears for the first time in the second chapter of Jonah. Vayaman and God appointed. God appointed a large fish, a large fish, a dog hagadol, a dog hagadol, a large fish. And then in tonight's reading, we had it three, three more times, God appointed a plant a plant. Kikayon, kikayon, a plant. A lot of discussion about what that plant was. In the King James Version, it's translated as a gourd. Could very well be. In fact, there was a, a pretty big controversy in the 5th century when Jerome came out with his Latin version from the Hebrew, and he gave a different translation of this than the one that appears in the Septuagint. And there was 
pandemonium in North Africa. The first year that they read that on Holy Saturday morning. Here, here at All Saints, we follow the same custom, by the way. We read the entire book of Jonah from one reading on Holy Saturday morning. Uh, it's almost, it's not almost always, it's all, if she's, if she's in, this, in this hemisphere, it's always Ruth Keller that gets to read it. It's just, we started that when she was eight years old and, and she's, except when she's studying abroad, she's always the one who reads, reads it. But Augustine is telling Jerome, you're, 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 you're creating pandemonium in the church. They read, they read Jerome's Latin translation instead of the, instead of the Septuagint translation uh, at one year. And Augustine writes back, he says, I don't know what to do. Half the people of the congregation got out walked out because you're altering the word of God. I don't know what they'd say about modern translations. A plant. I looked up that today. I wasn't happy with what was on the internet. I have my own idea what the plant was, but I won't burden you with that. Well, Amon appears again in the same chapter. God appoints a worm. Okay. Told you hot. Told you hot. A worm. Now that's that's some sort of insect that devours the plant. Now I've I've watched that happen. I I remember a plague of locusts that attacked us down in Nelson County, Kentucky. Fortunately, where the attack was not was not the crop. It was a whole a whole field full of weeds. Fortunately, and they put in. You saw them coming. It darkened the sky. Within about three hours, that was it was leveled, completely leveled. Imagine farmer losing his entire crop or something like that. So it, the, the, whatever this, this bug was, it devoured this plant over Jonah's head. God appointed a worm, it says. And then Yahavon, God appointed a vehement east wind. Okay. Ruach Kadim Horashith. It's an east wind. It has to be an east wind because he's sitting to the east of the city. Did you, did you pick up on that one? It's Cain, isn't it? Cain leaves paradise and settles to the east. Or as John Steinbeck would say, east of Eden. East of the east. This, this is one of the very, very strong dimensions of Jonah. He's essentially Cain, who wants these people wiped out. The real sin of Jonah is that he, disobedient and rebellious as he was, dared to pass his own personal judgment on the sinners of Nineveh. He didn't want them to be converted. He held out no promise to them if they were converted. He did not call them to conversion. He did not call them to repentance. He just says, it's all over, fellas. Brace yourselves. Then he goes off east of the city, and he sits down, and I think he had a, he had a, a, a 
cooler of some sort with a six pack, he's going to enjoy the fireworks. When Nineveh is wiped out, he's going to enjoy it. Well, it didn't go that way and he gets very upset. As this short book closes, is Jonah himself who is called to repentance. That's a dreadful thing, the idea that somebody's God's, God's spokesman <laughs> doesn't like the people he's preaching to. And he, he wants bad things to happen to them. He's not a very good model for, for, for a preacher, I should think. Now, the model I take for this approach to the book of Jonah is the famous sermon of Father Mapple. I've always been a big fan of Father Mapple. Father Mapple delivered his sermon in the Whaleman's Chapel in New Bedford, Massachusetts. I later visited that chapel, the Whaleman's Chapel, went up into Father Mapple's pulpit, and I had planned to read the book of Jonah while I was up there in Father Mapple's pulpit, and I couldn't find it in the Bible. Some Some barbarian, some cultured barbarian, had taken a razor blade and cut the page out. It wasn't there. I thought, there must be a very special place in the belly of a whale for somebody like that. The story, Father Mapple's sermon, is told by the sailor Ishmael, who is preparing to set sail from Nantucket but he will embark on a whaling voyage with Captain Ahab on the whaler, the Pequod. Father Mapple appears and climbs a rope ladder up to his pulpit, which is in the form of a ship's prow. It's high up into the, up in the church, in the shadows. Of course, it's not really that way. That's the way it's portrayed by Ishmael. In fact, I think I stepped up two steps just to get to it. I was looking forward to that rope ladder, but it wasn't there. Its paneled front, Ishmael tells us, was in the likeness of a ship's bluff bows. And the Holy Bible rested on the projecting piece of scrollwork fashioned after a ship's fiddle-headed beak. Now here's the way Ishmael tells the story of Father Mapple's sermon. And I appeal to this sermon because I'm quite incapable of preaching it better. Father Mapple rose in a mild voice of unassuming authority, ordered the scattered people to condense Starboard gangway there. Side away to larboard. Larboard gangway to starboard. Midships, midships. That's a call to repentance. It means get together. 
There was a low rumbling of heavy sea boots among the benches, and still slighter shuffling of women's shoes, and all was quiet again, and every eye on the preacher. He paused a little, and then kneeling in the pulpit's bows, <clears throat> folded his large brown hands across his chest, uplifted his closed eyes, and offered a prayer so deeply devout that he seemed kneeling and praying at the bottom of the sea. This ended in prolonged solemn tones, like the continual tolling of a bell in a ship that is foundering at sea in a fog. In such tones, he commenced reading the following hymn. But changing his manner toward the concluding stanzas, burst forth with appealing exultation of joy. The ribs and terrors of the whale arched over me in dismal gloom, while all God's sunlit waves rolled by and lifted me deepening down to doom. I saw the opening mall of hell with endless pains and sorrows there, which none but they that feel can tell, though I was plunging to despair. In black distress I called my God when I could scarce believe him mine, and he bowed his ear to my complaints. No more the wail did me confine. With speed he flew to my relief, as on a radiant dolphin born, awful yet bright, as lightning shone, the face of my deliverer, God. My song forever shall record that terrible, that joyful hour. I gave the glory to my God, is all the mercy and the power. Ishmael goes on. Nearly all joined in singing this hymn, which swelled high above the howling of the storm. A brief pause ensued. The preacher slowly turned over the leaves of the Bible, and at last, folding his hand down upon the proper page, said, Beloved shipmates, clinch the last verse of the first chapter of Jonah. And God had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Shipmates, this book containing only four chapters, four yarns, is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cable of the scriptures. Yet what depths of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What a pregnant lesson to us 
is this prophet. Jonah, a lesson to us. What a noble thing is that canticle in the fish's belly. How billow-like and boisterously grand. We feel the floods surging over us. We sound with him to the kelpy bottom of the waters. Seawood and all the seaweed and all the slime of the sea is about us. But what is this lesson that the book of Jonah teaches? Shipmates, it is a two-stranded lesson. A lesson to us all as sinful men, and a lesson to me as a pilot of the living God. As sinful men, it is a lesson to us all because it is a story of the sin, hard-heartedness, suddenly awakened fears, the swift punishment, repentance, prayers, and finally the deliverance and joy of Jonah. See what Ishmael is saying, what Father Maple is saying. If we flee from God, his mercy will cast us into the sea. And when we're rescued, it might not be right away the deliverance we were seeking. Sometimes the only way back to God is in the belly of a great fish in despair. Read that second chapter of Jonah over and over again. That's the canticle of Jonah, which we chant it. It's among, our, among the, nine, the nine odes. The ode of Jonah. Father Mapple goes on. As with all sinners among men, the sin of this son of Amittai was in his willful disobedience of the command of God. Never mind how, pardon me, never mind now what that command was or how conveyed, which he found a hard command. But all the things that God would have us do are hard for us to do. God doesn't ask us to do easy things. Remember that. And hence, he oftener commands us than endeavors to persuade us. And if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And isn't this disobeying ourselves wherein the hardness of obeying God consists? This evening, beloved shipmates, I've really only read you the opening lines of Father Mapple's sermon. It goes on quite a bit longer. If you want to consider the rest of it, just go to chapter 9 of Moby Dick. It's all there. 
And if you don't have a copy of Moby Dick at home, just Google Father Mapple's sermon. It's all online, as it should be. But I think I will call an end to this voyage tonight. I think I've said enough. Enjoy the feast day. Amen. <laughs>